Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hello, everybody. Happy August. It is August, and we're doing our kickoff on the monthly prayer. Jonathan Wilson Hargrove, who usually hosts with me and helped, uh, you know, collaboratively do our prayer book, is somewhere in the uh, sticks in Georgia and it can't get reception right now. So he might hop on, but I am so pumped because we got pastor Michael McBride. What's up, man. Uh, joining from the West coast. And, what's happening? Uh, what's happening <laughs> early in the morning, your face. I see the afternoon. <laughs> and, uh, so we'll talk about August in just a minute, but First of all, we, we've been teaming up on all kinds of stuff. And um, one of the things that Pastor Mike and I got to do together this year was organize this little jam session and reading of Dr. King's speech at uh, Beyond Vietnam at Riverside. But we also have been teaming up with Common Hymnal. So I thought we need a little music to get us going, get our blood flowing this morning. So this is a song that they debuted they kicked off it's uh inspired by gil scott heron and with permission and collaboration with his family uh he wrote the old you know the revolution will not be televised will not be televised and they wrote this version uh the revival so we're going to just play a little minute or so of it and uh so enjoy this I see it. And the liberated songwriters who want more from their lyrics than karaoke at camps and conferences. I can't tell you what it will look like in detail, but I can tell you what it will sound like, what it will smell like. It'll sound like the mortal footsteps walking through water hoses and lynch mobs. It'll sound like that look from your grandmama that set you straight when you got out of line. It'll sound like when your cousin came home from doing time. It'll sound like old school high church on a hardwood floor. It'll sound like the rumblings of dissatisfaction with the way things have been. It'll smell like initiative and excellence. It'll smell like independence and ownership. It'll smell like a table set before us in the presence of our enemies. So what you know about freedom, young brother? What you know about what it costs, my sister? We need to know, fam. We need to know because the revival has a weight to it. And you're going to have to carry that thing. It's going with you wherever you take it. So you're going to have to take it where Brother Malcolm couldn't take it, where Auntie Rosa couldn't take it. You're going to have to take it to your kids. Revival has generational and so get ready to get your hands dirty. The revival will be on the ground. It will be in your house. It will be bold in the best way. It will answer prayers for generations gone by. We don't need more viral. The revival will not go viral, but it will go forward. You best believe that. Mm. So that's just a little glimpse of uh, the revival with our friends at Common Hymnal, uh, Brother Phil, and so many others that uh, helped collaboratively create that piece. That's pretty sweet, huh? I think you just got to meet with them, right? Mike, got to hang out with some of those guys? Yeah, yeah. We had a great time um, hanging out. We connected a little bit during the Stellar Awards in Atlanta a few weeks ago and started doing some thinking and dreaming, and uh, some of them 
uh, came on by last weekend or this past weekend. And yeah, we, we, we've always, I've always been hoping that we can help cultivate a soundtrack for movement, peace and justice. And um, it was a really cool time together. I think the spirit met us and we going to see, you know, can 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 we do some uh, ex nihilo creation uh, type type work? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's it. Well, you know what? What's uh, you know interesting too is I think like in all of this, there's movement building, there's community building. And that's what, you know, the, this project, the common prayer thing was about was trying to put, we got like 50 songs in here. We don't have any common hymnal songs because it's a little before that time, but, you know, trying to put songs together, put different histories together, uh, put prayers together in a way that honors all the different traditions. And um, so it's collaborative work and that's what we've been doing together uh, for a little while anyway. So it's good to be together and to pray together, man. Yes. You know, um, I, I do believe that in this moment where we are constantly being pulled in so many different directions, the disciplines of our faith and traditions are important to lean into, um, all the more, um, you know, I just preached a, a, a sermon on prayer a couple of weeks ago and just talked about how it's so important for our practice of prayer, um, to continue to be, um, at the center of, of what moves and guides us. Right. And that, yeah. you know, scripture says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find knocking the door will be open. The asking is really about us and our courage to ask God for big things. The seeking is about our consistency and the knocking is about us manifesting through action. And so this, this is, this is a good thing that we're praying for peace, justice, um, strength, healing, faith, hope, unity and uh, i'm glad to be doing that with you bro yeah man well we're gonna have plenty of time just to unpack it uh we'll 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 dive in we're gonna do things a little different y'all so some of y'all that join every month uh we usually do the morning prayer for the first day of the month but because it's high noon now um (laughs) we're gonna gonna do we're gonna do the uh midday prayers which will be powerful because they're they're really rich especially when we think about centering ourselves around peace and nonviolence. So, um, but just to give this week at a glance, I try to do this every month because we're remembering history. We got Basil on the second. I, I love the Russian uh, St. Basil, you know, he lived during uh, the terrible reign of the dude's name was Ivan the Terrible, right? And the guy was religious, though, so he was fasting. And one of the stories is that Basil brought a big old slab of meat and threw it down before the king uh, and said, what good is your fasting if you're spilling the blood of your own people? Woo! <laughs> so uh, my, my, my. Maybe somebody can do that to uh, Putin uh, up in here today. But anyway, here we go. So we got Basil. We got um, a lot around the nuclear um, race this month, because this month we remember the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the the terrible uh, loss of hundreds of thousands of lives. And also a reminder that the United States, as much as we want to be a champion for peace, we're the only country that has actually dropped nuclear weapons on people. And we did it twice in one week. So we remember that this month and, and this next week. We remember some of the great peacemakers this month. Uh, Fran, uh, Franz Jägerstatter, who was uh, executed by the Nazis for his resistance. Maximilian Kolbe, who was also a, a Nazi resistor. St. Clair of CC. Uh, we remember this month. We remember some 
historic dates, uh, Brown versus Board of Education. That decision was made uh, mid-August 1959. So we remember that. We remember Nat Turner and the uh, uprising in 1831. We remember the 19th Amendment where uh, women gained the right to vote uh, in 1920. We remember St. Augustine, John the Baptist. We remember Fannie Lou Hamer and Ruby uh, Robinson in Mississippi as they uh, fought for their voice in the Democratic Party, the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. And so there's a lot, you know, happening this month. And every month we have a theme uh, of the month that, that's kind of a core part of our discipleship. So I'll give you just one little glimpse because this month is peacemaking. We're going to be talking about it in just a minute with uh, Pastor Michael. So uh, this is this is what we, we, a few lines of it. Peace is not just about the absence of conflict. It's about the presence of justice. Dr. King distinguished between the devil's peace and God's peace because there's a counterfeit peace that exists when people are pacified or distracted or so beat up and tired of fighting that everything seems calm, but true peace does not exist until there is justice, restoration, forgiveness, and peacemaking doesn't mean passivity. It's the act of interrupting injustice without mirroring injustice, the act of disarming evil with dis without destroying the evildoer, the act of finding a third way that is neither fight nor flight, but the careful, arduous pursuit of reconciliation and justice. That is peacemaking. So we're going to talk about it. Uh, and, and before we, we talk about peacemaking, let's do some praying together. Um, these prayers are the midday prayers. You can find them commonprayer.net. Um, and I think some of y'all use the book or the app, but I'll, um, I'll just lead us and you can pray them wherever you are along with Pastor Mike and I. Draw us into your love, Christ Jesus, and deliver us from fear. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us bring love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, let us bring joy. O oh, divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. We'll pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a prayer that uh, the missionaries of charity, Mother Teresa and the sisters pray each morning. Make us worthy, Lord, to serve our brothers and sisters throughout the world who live and die in poverty and pain. Give them today through our hands their daily bread and through our understanding love 
give peace and joy. Amen. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the hungry, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness and justice, for great is their reward. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that your fruit would be in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Dear Jesus, help us to spread your fragrance everywhere we go. And finally, this prayer, soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. Oh, good Jesus, hear me. Within your wounds, hide me. Suffer me not to be separated from you. From the malicious enemy, defend me. In the hour of my death, call me and bid me come unto you that with your saints I may praise you forever and ever. Amen. Well, that's our uh, midday prayer, y'all. We did it a little different, but we created those prayers. I want to hear your thoughts on it, Mike. Some of these prayers are hundreds of years old. Some go you know, right out of the Beatitudes of Jesus. One's attributed to Francis of Assisi in the 13th century, but they're all, these prayers were meant to be like a five or 10 minute time out from our day to really ground us uh, in who we are. But also, I mean, in this spirit of peacemaking, it's easy to get, you know, stressed out. And so these, these midday prayers are meant to kind of ground us in, in uh, the spirit. Hallelujah. Right. <laughs> you got any thoughts yeah. as you were, we were praying through those, man? <clears throat> I do. I do. You know, I, I appreciate, um, you know, all the very forms of prayer that are part of our tradition. You know, I come from a Pentecostal tradition where, you know, a lot of our prayers have historically been more extemporaneous and loud. Um, yes, Lord. Um, but during my 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 journey as a follower of Jesus and being exposed to different varied traditions of of the, the, the Christian faith, you know, some, some of these prayers of praying scripture, praying prayers that have been written some millennia or centuries ago, um, it helps us to uh, participate in a community of prayer, in um, a, a history of prayer. Dare I say, when we pray these prayers, um, they tear down the, the space time continuum um, of division. A uh, uh, big shout out to uh, Michelle, who, who just transitioned a, a horror from Star Trek. I'm a big, I'm a big Trekkie guy, right? This <laughs> idea that the body of Christ is not known by time or distance or place, um, but that there is a community of saints um, across time. And, and just to know that 
The words we pray today have been being prayed for literally thousands of years. It helps us to feel comfort, at least it helps me to feel comfort that there are moments where I don't have the words to say. And um, I don't have to start from scratch. I can literally allow the prayers of the saints, of the scriptures, of those who've come before me, help structure and order my prayer in that way. Um, I do find these words to be important um, because I'm not the first one to say these words. Um, mm. As I see peace in a very um, wicked and violent world. Yeah. Well, if y'all are just tuning in, uh, some of y'all are watching online live and some of y'all are listening to this afterwards, but we're... Uh, talking about prayer and peacemaking with brother Michael McBride from uh, leading all kinds of different things, but the live free campaign. And um, what, what are some other ways that you ground yourself? And I mean, some of it is, is I, I've kind of gone through lots of different ways of thinking about prayer, you know, growing up in youth group, it was like prayer was making requests to God. And then, you know, when I, hung out with Catholics a little bit more and I got the Pentecostal side of me too. So I still got that whole thing, but, <laughs> but a lot of prayer was about grounding myself in who God is and who I want to be and uh, prayer changing me so that we can change the world rather than just making requests to God. But how, how do you, you got any, you got Michael McBride tricks up there that you can share about, you know, your prayer life, things that ways that you see prayer working for you. Well, I do believe that prayer is often about the um, this this intimacy, this this idea that I can be in a place of intimacy with God, that my my engagement with God need not be from a distance. Right. That I can literally slow my life, slow myself, slow my my heart and my spirit and my soul and wait on God, wait patiently for God to meet me at the point of my need, at the point of my request. And so. You know, I do I do believe that the the power of prayer, the practice of prayer, the consistency of prayer, it affords us a spiritual vitality, um, strength in atrophied muscles, if you will, mm. um, to 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 literally um steward the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, but also um, you know meet the enemies of that kingdom, um, mm. not with the same weapons or vices or tools uh, that often lead to uh, the, the kind of death machine, right? But it, it allows me to, to, to even, uh, as Dr. Cornel West said one time, leave the porch light on for folks because you never know when they want to come home, right? <laughs> it, it affords us this idea that even in my praying, uh, we can pray uh, for our enemies, not for them to succeed, but for them to be converted, right? And so prayer offers me and us hopefully a, a, a tool and a practice that 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 does not leave us um, just totally consumed by the the tyranny of the moment, but constantly like tapping into the eternal imagination and possibilities of the Creator. And so, yeah, when I when I pray, I'm always trying to to use images, say names, be specific, because I know that I can carry to God the specificity, um, even at times when um, I'm, I'm often uh, consumed by the generalities of it all. Mm -hmm. And you, may, you you talked about this a little bit, but you know, the when we're doing this work to do, to not meet evil on its own terms, but to try yeah. to stay grounded in, in, um, in the belief that, the redemptions for everybody, even for those that might be opposed to us. And um, 
but that that's not always real easy, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been arrested a time or two together. And, and, uh, I remember some of the things those U.S. Marshals said to us when we were back here. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think um, we're always holding out that hope. Right. And when you think about peacemaking, you know, I, we, we read a little bit about that, Dr. King, di- differentiating between kind of the devil's peace, the absence of conflict and just the the sort of counterfeit peace and, and the real presence of God's justice and, and restoration. Um, there's a lot of talk of unity these days, uh, but it seems like there's a lot of that kind of counterfeit unity, right? That's just, just let, let's all get along, let's hug each other. Let, why, why do we need to be divided as a nation and things like that, you know? So as you think about what it means to be a peacemaker and to follow the Jesus who both wept over Jerusalem, but also flipped the tables in the temple, you know? <laughs> What, what's it look like, man? What's peacemaking look like right now? Well, I do think that that, you know, peacemaking is about um, always keeping at the core this notion of of God's ideal for all creation. Right. That that when God created, you know, we do believe we hope we expected that God created with all things in balance, all things um, had enough, right? There, there was no scarcity. There was no um, uh, 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 manipulation or coercion, but, you know, things lived in harmony. And, and as the world spun out of this kind of um, ideal, out of this, 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 this right order, if you will, we call that, you know, sin or rebellion, that the world quickly became, um, you know, not just far away from peace, but literally at war and at enmity with one another. And so I do believe that peacemaking is about always holding at the front of our mind that this is not the way the world has to be. Yeah. And that God has an order, um, not, you know, order of, of hierarchy in the sense of you know, there has to be uh, these, you know, haves and have nots, but God creates with abundance. And so if there's God, if our God is always abundant, then there is always enough for everyone. And so peace to me is about restoring the consciousness of abundance. It's about restoring the brokenness of relationship, but it's also about ensuring that the powerful uh, do not abuse their power uh, on the backs and on the, the, the vulnerabilities of those without power. And in that way, sometimes peace does require a certain level of engagement um, that may to the powerful seem violent, <laughs> that may to the powerful seem um, obstructive may may seem a threat, but our engagement need not be physically violent. Our engagement must always, though, be uh, bearing witness to the truth that there is enough for all. There's enough resources. There's enough um, uh, 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 power to steward. There's enough um, love to go around, joy, peace to go around, safety to go around. And so you know, I do feel like there are moments where our our peacemaking work requires healing through holding one another. It requires speaking out to systems, hoping that the systems will take note and change and repent. It is about calling out leaders who are misguided or who are maniacal. Um, but at the core, I think it is always about us treating one another with the gentleness, the tenderness and the love 
that is always born out of our sense of abundance. And I do hope uh, that the peacemaking work that we're doing, whether it's, you know, through organizing, whether it is through, you know, literally interrupting violence in our local communities, whether it is through changing policy, whether it is through trying to, you know, tell the truth to those who are deceived by the forces uh, of this age, I hope that peacemaking is always at its core about bringing us back to a time where um, literally the lion and the lamb, you know, not Glory. just rested, but it was hanging out and cooking, you know, and uh, and the, 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 lion, the lamb wasn't concerned that the lion was going to eat him. Somebody said <laughs> there, 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 was, there, was, there was literally enough for all. So, yeah, I do, I do hope there's a sense of of um, of that that always, you know, kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, really helping to guide our work. That's it. And I, I wish you could see, I, I can't quite show you the mural outside of my window, but it's got the lion and the, and the lamb and the dove, you know, outside hanging out mm -hmm. together. And, uh, but that, that vision, I mean, it's a real prophetic vision, right. Of, of like the world as it, as it should be. And where we, you know, beat our swords into plows our spears into pruning hooks, we turn from death to life. And, you know, for folks that, didn't grow up in the church or the kingdom of God feels like weird language. I think one way of thinking about it, right, is just what does God's dream look like, right? What's God's dream look like for my neighborhood, for mm -hmm. our country, for our world? And there's some things that we can name. This is not God's dream. 110 people to die every day from gun violence, right? From people to be scared of the police for, for, uh, I mean, we got kids that I've met in our neighborhood that have been so traumatized by police violence. Every time they see a police officer, they start to shake, you know, like that's not a world we want to live in. Uh, what does the, the dream of God look like? Well, it looks like alternatives to the death penalty, right? <laughs> like We don't kill people to show that killing's wrong. And I think that you know, that that prayer that we, you know, God's kingdom on earth, that's that's one way that, you know, people might be, be able to think about it in a natural way is just praying what we we're praying that God's dream would come on earth as it is in heaven. And that also means that we're participating in it. Right. Like we we want to start turning from death to life. Now we want to start making our streets safer. And that's why I think, you know, it transcends one issue. We've we've been together around police violence. We've been together around the the gun violence, the death penalty, the environment, like all these things are really interconnected, right? And and it all kind of hinges around God's dream, which is for everybody to flourish, for everybody's life to be treated as equally sacred, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do I do hope and pray that, you know, as we pray, you know, as we seek the face of God, God keeps revealing to all of us our our complicity in the way in which the world continues to fall into these, um, you know, um, patterns and, and ways of life that that hinder, you know, um, God's dream in our communities. You know, I think all of us, if you were to read these, you know, wonderful words of, of Jesus, whether it's the Lord's Prayer or these saints, very few people in the world would be like, oh, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. Right. But then when it comes to actually how we vote, how we, you know, treat our neighbor in these, you know, crazy uh, online 
chat rooms about, you know, neighborhood safety. I don't know if y'all have like next door out there where you guys live, where people are literally like calling the police on their neighbors all the time, rather than just going to introduce yourself to them. You know, how we treat our, our education system with, with the kids going to school. And some of us don't want our kids to be in the same classroom as other kids, right? You know, um, on and on and on. Our Obviously our politics, all of these things are the, the ways in which we show up in the world that that pushed against the prayers that we've just prayed. Yeah. And we have blind spots, you know I mean? This is part of what it means to be limited and fragile and, and human is that we're not always clear about where our blind spots lie. And so prayer, particularly in community with others, I hope that it helps expose to us where we must repent, where we must literally ask the spirit to help, fix parts of our heart, parts of our mind, parts of our will, um, where it can literally be bent or shaped or formed after the dream of God, after the words that we pray, and know that none of us are exempt from needing some form of, uh, of, 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 you know, not conversion with a big C, but a conversion with a small C. You know, our hearts are always in need of conversion um, to the the dream of God in the world. And so I hope the prayer is just not for a change to happen outside of us, but prayer is also about change happening within. Yeah. And one of the things that we've become really aware of, especially in the gun violence, the, the movement to end gun violence, is that thoughts and prayers can be a place to hide from responsibility mm. too. You know, if we're not careful, then uh, people say, you know, all we can do is pray. And that's not true. We can pray, but we can also organize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? and, and I think that, that that's the work that put putting feet on, on our prayers, right? Getting up off our knees and saying, what has God given me access to or the ability to do, uh, to, to change and influence policies, to make phone calls, to get in the streets and, and do something to heat up the forge and turn a gun in the garden <laughs> tool, whatever it is, right? So what, where are you, you know, we were, I got my little cup here, Pastor Mike, I got my uh, my uh, president of the United States seal cup from our time. <laughs> at the White House. But we did we did show up at the White House to celebrate. Uh, I mean, I think what can be seen as a little victory, right, that we like the the bipartisan bill that was passed that is uh, really one of the most concrete signs of change we've seen in a few decades, even though it's not all that we want it to be, we can say, this is probably going to save some lives. And so let's celebrate that, but we can, uh, we can do better. We can save more lives if we want to. So we celebrate today and keep organizing tomorrow. But, you know, from that time at the white house, one of the things that's encouraging is there's money to go towards peacemaking and violence interruption. Right. So I think it'd be cool to talk. You've been really instrumental and trying to allocate some of those resources to communities that are doing peacemaking in some tough places. Um, what does what that violence interruption and peacemaking look like? What are some ways that people are doing that, you know, in their own neighborhoods that we hope to see more resources go to scale that up some? Well, what we know all across the country is that it is a small number of individuals that unfortunately are caught in violent cycles, their trauma, their anger, their fear, their pain. It is abnormal. It is often supplemented, if not, you know, made um, in uh, worse through the abuse of, you know, illicit drugs, self-medication through alcohol. And so uh, these kinds of challenges 
uh, often spill over into communities and those who are not even caught up or intended to be caught in the violence are often impacted by this violence. But at its core, it's still such a small number of individuals. We've tried everything except for health and healing strategies at the center. We've tried more police. That has not made us more safe. We've tried more jails. That's not made us safe. We've literally, you know, um, you know, uh, placed at inordinate numbers of, of law enforcement officials in communities, almost like an occupying army. That's not made us safe. Um, and we've even, folks have even tried to use policy to keep certain folks out of housing and, you know, make sure folks can't live in certain places. That has not made us safe. What we want to try this time in a very scaled up manner is this idea that there are those people of peace, individuals who have been trained in peacemaking, healing strategies, uh, de-escalation work that know who these small number of individuals are. And all across the country, we launch offices of violence prevention or departments of violence prevention. We bring nonprofits into de-coordination and collaboration. We build trauma recovery centers. We literally build a, a peace infrastructure in every city that is as funded and rigorous as the enforcement uh, apparatus in our cities. And we hope that that small number of individuals uh, can constantly be surrounded by full-time, fully resourced peace public health intervention strategies. And so for the last couple of decades, we've been working to get the federal government to acknowledge these strategies. They are now popularly called community violence intervention. They used to be called ceasefire strategies or gun violence initiatives or group violence intervention strategies. But these strategies are intended to make sure that we take seriously that we don't have to use a collective punishment framework or apparatus to address violence in our communities, that we can literally hire some of our loved ones who have returned home from incarceration. They have been not only re rehabilitated, but they've been transformed. They are re repentant in their attitude towards the harm they've caused. And now they want to spend the rest of their life literally making peace in the community. They want to touch the young people 20 years junior to them that may have gotten some of their own bad habits um, from those who are now coming back home and have outlived their uh, time in jail and, and now are about redemption and second chances. And so we're excited that, you know, the Biden administration put resources into their budget last year. Uh, 250 million spread over five years made it into this bipartisan uh, uh, vote, which hopefully greases the skid for more resources to come. But we also have to be careful because not a week after we were at the White House, the Biden administration put out a $37 billion public safety or crime bill that is now asking to put, among other things, $13 billion into 100,000 police officers over five years to come into our communities, the same amount that was in the 1994 crime bill. And so uh, this work is not just about the celebration of incremental victories, but it's also about a movement to shift the way in which we think about solving violence in the world. And I'll never forget while we were uh, with uh, Dr. Bernice King at the Riverside Church, and she did say, recounting the words of her father, that if there was ever a moment in history where we ought to study peacemaking study. strategies, we ought to study what it means to make peace and to be 
people of peace. Now, more than ever, we need that. And her father said that 55 years ago. And so, you know, it's to me, it is about followers of Jesus being very clear about what does it mean for us to actually study peacemaking, not as a way to allow anarchy and violence and harm to just be unabated in our communities, but perhaps there are strategies to make peace that we've not fully inhabited and scaled up. And I'm super excited that our Live Free Network, our Fund Peace Network, you know, partnerships with folks like Red Letter Christian Shane and so many others, we're trying to really figure that out in literally every city across the country where we hang out. Yeah, man. And I'm going to say that one of the things that we we have a lot of things in common, but I, I think that we also have a certain suspicion about uh, the, the the powers that be that we can yes, celebrate sir. whenever the, the spirit breaks through these principalities and powers. But you always got to be on guard. Yep. And, we you know, in the same breath that we can celebrate a very modest uh, uh, gun bill, we can also still keep saying that this administration, the Biden administration needs to tear down the death house, tear it down, demolish the execution chamber. And there's a lot of other things, right? These are just concrete things. But, you know, I, I was thinking, um, in our neighborhood too, we, we've been having some of these community meetings about thinking about what, I mean, what does God's dream look like, but also how do we keep kids from getting killed? Right. We we're we got over, uh, 500 gun deaths in Philly last year. It's the most in the history of our city. And this year, we're even above that. We're over 300 right now. And um, in those meetings, you know, we're, we're, we're talking together about how we can be a presence on the streets. And someone said pretty well, Michael, they said, it's like we, we're, we're, we're moving from this uh, mass incarceration, policing law enforcement strategy to something new but we haven't quite figured out what the something new is and we're trying new things. We're trying to figure it out. And that, that felt really accurate to me, you know, that like we, we, we know that this isn't working, but we've got to, you know, and some of this is, is layered deep, right. That, that uh, it's taken decades of terrible policies to get us to the point where, you know, I got a couple things on my desk. This is one of them is all of our heroin needles. And we bagged them up and we marched these to our city officials saying, this is a public health crisis, you know, but we also saw that we've got, you know, we've got all these gun deaths and 57 of the blocks of Philadelphia, 57 blocks are carrying the bulk of those of the gun violence. And it's the same neighborhoods that were redlined uh, mm. that were, were had racist housing policies in them that stigmatized and defunded these same neighborhoods over the past 90 years and now you know it's no surprise that 20 28 of those blocks are right here in Kensington in our neighborhood where we have the gun violence and we've had this history of discrimination right so I think it's it's realizing that there is decades and decades of policies that have gotten us into the funk that we're in right now. But also as we pray for healing, we've got to think real holistically about all this, that it, it, you know, it has housing and education and all of it's connected. Right, man. Absolutely. I mean, I think that we should see the the work of healing and restoration. You know, the scripture talks about repairs of the breach. I know that's a, a, a wonderful 
description or or campaign title of uh, Dr. William Barber's work, but that that passage it talks about restoring the cities, the uninhabitable cities. I mean, just think about uh, peacemaking, not just as stopping violence, but it's also about rebuilding cities. Think of yourself as like in the book of Nehemiah, where, Mm. you know, they were literally rebuilding the walls that had been torn down because of the, 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 um, the, the neglect and the even the exile of groups of people, right? And so, you know, I do hope that we as people of faith, we have a larger <laughs> imagination around what it yeah. means to make peace. I mean, obviously, as I tell our folks, it's hard to save folks if they're already dead, right? And so mm. this idea that keeping them alive and free is a critical first, second, maybe even third step of the work. But those individuals can be unleashed to hold down those 57 blocks. And so for us, I hope that our generosity can literally overwhelm and overcome our individuality that is often cultivated by this culture where, you know, I'm just going to get my house, my picket fence, my two uh, kids, partner and a dog. And, you know, I hope y'all figure that out on the other side of the street. No. No, no, no. If we know it's 57 blocks, which that that is the case in many cities across the country, a select number of neighborhoods of blocks literally responsible for overwhelming amounts of violence. We know those blocks are created by policy, by disinvestment, by over policing, by the presence of desperation, of anger, of fear, of racism, classism on and on, on sexism. We know all those things can be more concentrated in these places. What does it mean for us to make peace in these places that actually restore balance and equilibrium through our generosity, our love, our presence, our resources, uh, our championing and advocacy for the least of these? That is indeed what I hope our work is about. And again, I hope it always flows from our spiritual disciplines of prayer, fasting, um uh 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 what uh, what what is it uh you know leaning in and put and, and and taking steps away you know like all of these holistic spiritual practices i think it makes our work that much more vital and and sustainable and that yeah. that i think is the, that's what we're supposed to bring as as followers of jesus into this space right um that that kind of vision but also that kind of spirit that's it. And we need peacemakers everywhere. We need peacemakers in the streets, but we need wow. peacemakers in the schools. We need yep. peacemakers in the hospitals. We yep. need we, we, we I think all of this is we, we remember these words of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children of God. You think, what does it look like to be a peacemaker where I am with my own uh, my own calling, my own skills, my own place in society. My wife, uh, she's been in uh, school teaching, you know, Mike, and um, she's uh, was teaching in the school right up the street, which um, int- interestingly enough, just got renamed. It was called Sheridan Elementary School. It was named after General Sheridan, who said some terrible things. And one of them was that the only good native is a dead native. And I mean, mm. that, that's what, that, and that, that's a school right next to us. And so it just got renamed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And, uh, <laughs> um, but it's also a massively defunded, like, like, uh, uh, economically struggling school. Right. Um, and so like literally there's no air conditioning in the school. We got money for war anytime mm-hmm. we want it. And yet, the school lets out when it's 104 degrees. 
Wow. So that the kids can can be safe. You know, my wife got a, a bunch of, li- of books for her kids so that the characters reflected who they were. And yet the roof was leaking and ruined a bunch of these books in the school, in the school. Like, this is what we're up against, y'all. So we, we got to be thinking, that's not God's dream, right? That's not God's right. dream. So what does it look like for us? And I think of Dr. King, you know, uh, in that speech that we read at Riverside, where he talked about how, you know, we tell young people that violence won't solve their problems, but why do, does our government use masses of doses of violence to try to bring the changes it wants in the world? And we can't speak against violence in one, one form without speaking against violence in every form. So uh, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, yes. Let's think about what it, what is really going to make for peace. Yes. What's really going to look, what, what is it going to look like for our kids to know that they are precious and made in the image of God, just as much as a kid in any other zip code. Uh, so let's pursue that kind of world together. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the last word, Mike. You, you can bring us out, man. <laughs> Well, I, I, I think you've given us the last word, and I, I think that is the last word. God is inviting us to be a peacemaker and a healer, a restorer, a rebuilder, wherever we are. We don't always have to travel to another city. We don't even sometimes have to travel to another neighborhood. Sometimes it's just about being faithful where we are. Um, you've mentioned so many intersecting issues related to peace, whether it's gun violence, whether it's the death penalty, whether it's demilitarization of both domestic and international, uh, you know, um, armies of cops or soldiers, you know, whether it's making sure our policy agendas are are healing the ecosystem, whether it's making sure we have access to vote, whether it's making sure, you know, our veterans are cared for. There's so many ways for yeah. us to make peace. And so my hope is that we don't see peacemaking as this uh, neutral, anemic uh, commitment, but that it is about us every day waking up, asking God, how can I be a peacemaker today? Um, How can I engage in obedience uh, in a long direction? And uh, and pray these prayers, pray these words that we've we've mentioned earlier today. The more we pray the prayers of peace, the more I pray our hearts become peaceful. Our actions become peaceful. And as Frederick Douglass says, I prayed for 20 years and never received an answer until I prayed with my feet. So Hmm. let your prayers flow from your mouth, but let them also flow from your hands and your feet. And may uh, we all be peacemakers. Love you, bro. This has been great. Love you too, man. I love you too. And thank y'all for joining us. Listen, I'm going to send you out with a benediction from one of uh, our friends we lost. Uh, Ron Sider, as many of you know, has uh, passed away, the founder of uh, uh, Evangelicals for Social Action. And he's been a part of Red Letter Christians from the very beginning. He died at 82 years old this past week. And uh, he was one of those peacemakers. He wrote books and books about peacemaking. And his words back in 1984 that I'm going to read for us, uh, they they help give birth to the Christian peacemaker teams, which is still uh, scattered all over the world. And these are Ron Sider's words. And then, Pastor Mike, if you, if you feel so called, you can pray us out. But this is a uh, Ron Sider, 1984. He said, unless we are prepared to risk injury and death in nonviolent opposition to injustice, we don't dare even whisper another word about pacifism to our sisters and brothers in desperate lands, unless we are ready to die developing new nonviolent attempts to reduce international conflict. We should confess that we never really meant the cross was an alternative 
to the sword. Making peace is as costly as waging war. Unless we are prepared to pay the cost of peacemaking, we have no right to claim the label or preach the message. Those are the words of uh, Dr. Ron Sider, who's passed mm. on to the, uh, other, the other side. Mm. Uh, but uh, it's been a great conversation talking about pe- peacemaking and prayer with uh, my brother, Pastor Michael McBride. You got any closing benediction or prayer, brother? You can put on your Pentecostal hat if you want to send us out. <laughs> well, Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Mm. Give to us the power of the Holy Ghost that makes peace possible. Peace within us, peace around us, and peace beyond us. May we be clear about the weapons, the tools of our fight not being of human origin, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we pull down violence. We pull Mm. down exploitation. We pull down injustice and racism and sexism. We pull down, Lord God homophobia, transphobia. We pulled down, God, militarism and and imperialism. We pulled down, Lord God, the nuclear powers and the death penalties. We pulled down, Lord God, police violence and interpersonal violence, domestic violence. We pulled down all of these vices of Mm. violence and we lift up the healing power of your spirit. May it first begin with us as your followers, and may it overflow into the world. Make us instruments of your peace. And we will say thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.